0: Welcome to HCIC Next, a podcast focusing on how digital marketing leaders are reshaping marketing and the healthcare industry as a whole. This podcast series shares information about the innovations that are happening today in digital marketing and helps you understand just how to apply what has worked at other healthcare systems across the country to your very own organization. These sessions that you hear were originally captured at the 2019 Healthcare Internet Conference in Orlando, Florida. And today you are hearing a session that was originally in the content design and usability track titled Integrate Data into Your Health Content Strategies. Presenters are Amanda Tordovich, Senior Director of Health Content, and Nathan David, Marketing Director, both from the Cleveland Clinic. Good
1: morning, everybody. I'm Amanda Todorovic, I'm the Senior Director of Health Content at Cleveland Clinic. Nathan and I are here to talk to you today about how to bring data to your health content strategies. And The term health content for us has been evolving at the clinic for a little while now because for a long time my role was really to manage our health essentials blog and social media. And I lived on an island doing that, heads down, and we'll talk more about that. but in the last 18 months, that has broadened to include our health library content, so the A to Z health information stuff. So a lot of what we're doing now and what we're gonna talk about today is, is emerging as we sort of think about how we bring this health content landscape together because what we've learned is it's the same audience, it's the same users, the same people who are looking at both types of content. So how do we marry the blog our institute content on the website and this health library asset that we have. At the same time, we've reorganized our entire department and division to align to this and to integrate some new people and some new teams. So we've been going through a lot of change, but some of what we've done that's led to our success has been constant. So there's a lot of elements of this that if you've heard me present before will sound very familiar, but um, Again, it's more holistic. It's broadening the scope of it and really thinking more about that health content journey that we know our patients are going on every day. So with that, Nathan, his role as our organization has also changed. So he's been the director of content growth for us since
2: June. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Basically, content growth is anything to increase the amount of traffic that we have going to the Different health content channels that Amanda just talked about so under me uh, I have the purview of analytics because that's how we measure growth Uh, under that we have email social video and SEO and so those are the main channels that we use to drive traffic to our different channels and um, then we obviously measure all of that with data and analytics
1: so I'm going to talk a little bit more about strategy, and then Nathan's going to jump in and talk a lot more about tools and actually how we do some of that measurement. But I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is, for a lot of us, what drives your content strategy tends to be internal politics. Who's asking the most? Who's screaming the loudest? Who's the most important person asking for something? That tends to be how we choose to do things. Who suffers when that drives our strategy? our users. They're not getting what they want. They're getting what we're pushing at them, right? We spend a lot of time talking about institutes and departments and programs and centers. Everybody wants all that stuff all over the website. The reality at Cleveland Clinic is that's 2% of our total traffic when you combine all the institutes, all the services, all the programs. Where are people spending time? Health content. Health Essentials in the Health Library are 83% of our total web traffic. So while we spend more time politically navigating our way through this, the reality is we need to be spending more time thinking about the questions those potential patients are asking. We also tend to get hung up on this part, right? ROI, drive people to make appointments. This is really hard to do in healthcare, and it's really hard to do with any kind of content marketing. Because really great content is about trust and relationships. right? And when you get stuck in this place, trying to push services at people, trying to get them to take an action they're probably not ready to take, they bounce. They leave. They don't trust you, because they think all you care about is your bottom line. I was in a meeting with Google recently. They shared with me research, original research they did, that said 75% of consumers think that hospitals put profits before patients. So if all we do is push content at them that's promoting our high ROI surgeries, what do you think they think we want them to do? right? And we evade the trust in healthcare. It's a problem, it's a big problem. So your content strategy can't be based on this, really. And it, can't, it cannot drive your overall approach to your website either. And I think that a lot of times this is what happens too, especially when you look at, again, that 2% slice of what you're putting on your websites. There's a lot of this, we have to put the program there, we have to put the center there, or no one will know it exists. Well, the reality is, most people find things on your website by going to Google, first and foremost. So if it doesn't exist in Google search results, it doesn't exist. Right? So no matter what you put on your website, if it's not discoverable, If it's not optimized for the way people are asking those questions or seeking those services, it doesn't matter. So I also like to use this analogy because I think that this is where most of us find ourselves. If you imagine every one of those wads of paper as a request for content that comes at you, and people throw them at you every day, stop by your cube, email you, right, I need this, I want this this doctor needs volume, this doctor is complaining, we need this, 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 we need this. this. Your strategy becomes survival of digging yourself out of that mess. Nowhere in that giant pile is your audience. What do they want? What do they need? So when we talk about data, and how to bring data to your content strategy, What we're really talking about is how to bring the voice of your audience to the conversation. That's where we need to start. That's where we need to focus when it comes to our strategy around content and prioritization of what you spend your time on and what you put on your website.
2: Alexa, please give me my flashback.
1: Here's your flash briefing from Cleveland Clinic. Today's health tip.
2: Sleep experts
1: say as many as 80% of people with sleep apnea.
0: You're overweight.
1: video was created to help my team understand why. Why do we do this? Why are we obsessing over these numbers? Why are we digging into this data so critically? That's it. And our strategy can honestly be boiled down to two words. Be there. Because the first place most people turn in a health situation, no matter how big or small, is Google. It's the internet. Right? Tell me how serious this is. Should I be scared? Should I be worried? What should I do? Help me. That's every time they go to Google and type in something health related, which we know is a million and a half billion times a day, right? All the stats, all the time. The reason we create so much content at Cleveland Clinic is because we understand and pay a lot of attention to what people want, on what platforms, in what ways. And again, We want to be there. And that doesn't mean that you have to do everything for everybody. That's not it either. You have to understand who you serve, who's coming to your site, who's wanting information from you. For us, it's quite different, right? We're a big global healthcare brand, and we've been in the content business for a long time. And so we've scaled our structure, we've scaled our resources to accommodate that. No matter what slice or how big or how small you think about this, the foundational approach is still the same. It's still about understanding the questions your patients, your audiences, are asking you to answer for them, right? And a lot of times, that doesn't necessarily fall into this health content bucket for many of you. But for us, it's a huge part of what we're doing. Health Essentials has been publishing three to five articles every day for seven years. It's a lot of content. Tack on an A to Z health library, all original content, thousands and thousands of pieces of content, and it's still not enough. We still have gaps. There's still things we don't cover. So how do you determine what to write about, what to do? How much content should you create? Do you need a podcast? Right? A lot of times, think about this, most of that decision-making isn't based on what do your audiences want? or any metrics. It's based on someone telling you we need to do it. We're guilty of it. I'll tell you right now, that's why we have an Alexa skill. It's not because there was some like huge demand for a health tip on Alexa. Nope, we need to do voice. We need to figure it out. But I'm OK with that, because what we've done since is learned a lot about what that audience does want, what they will engage with. It was an experiment for us. It was a dabble in voice. Let's see what it's all about. And that approach, you're going to hear from us a lot. This idea of iterating your way through it and learning as you go and understanding what it means, I'm not up here to tell you you have to do this big comprehensive analysis and understand everything from the get go. That doesn't work either. Things change and evolve. And what Health Essentials was in 2012 to what it is today is drastically, dramatically different in how we decide what to do and what actually gets published. Some of our best, most trafficked pieces of content right now today are from 2015. It's not what we publish today. So understanding that shift and really being open and willing to evolve and understand data enough to continuously iterate and optimize and improve is really what's led to our success. So, Health Essentials today gets over 7 million visits a month. When I walked in the door in 2013, the site was already up. It's called Health Hub then, getting about 200,000 visits a month. Six months later, from the time I started, we were at a million visits a month. Do you know what we changed? One fundamental thing. My first day on the job, I was handed a spreadsheet. It was 50 pages of ideas from our service line marketers of what they wanted us to write about. And we would meet with them, and they would tell us the priorities. That was the immediate shift. Shut it down. That's not how we're gonna do this. What are people actually clicking on? What are people actually engaging with? And at that time, it was mostly social media driven. 60% of our traffic at that point was from Facebook. So who's that audience, what does she want, what is she clicking on, what is she engaging with, who else is she following, tell me more about her and let's prioritize against that. 200,000 to a million in six months, that is it. We didn't do any more content. It has been three to five a day since day one. Every day, how do we get better? How do we iterate our way through this? What can we test, what can we change, what can we try? What can we learn? Those numbers, 7 million is amazing. But what that tells me, 7 million people thought our content was good enough to help them. We were there 7 million times. You have to make your audience your universe. You have to know who they are. You have to understand what value you can provide to them. Right? Nobody wants to follow a hospital on social media. Nobody wants to be sick, and if they're sick, they don't want to be reminded of it 24-7. You have to find a way to make your content mean something and matter and be helpful. You have to give them something, not always take. Right? As marketers, we're really guilty of this. We want their email address. We want to make them a lead. We want to push them through the funnel. We want them to make an appointment. We want them to convert. Who are they? What matters to them? Where are you in their life? What does it mean? You have to listen. Data is their feedback to you. You don't need to do tons of surveys. You don't need that pop-up on your site every five seconds. What they're clicking on, what they're doing, how they're getting there, what they're doing next tells you enough, right? Your social media data, your e-newsletter data, all of it tells you something. But are you acting on it? Are you listening to it or are you just reporting it out? There's a big difference. You heard a little bit this morning about empathy and digital empathy, and I really, really love the concept of data-driven empathy because, again, you're using the data to understand how they feel. What do they need? What do they want? So that's a big part of how we think about it. Empathy is a core value at the Cleveland Clinic. So when I talk to executives about what we're doing and how we're prioritizing content, especially to a clinical audience, who tends to be like, I don't have time for you, I don't have time to review your content, because I'm busy seeing patients. Well, hold on, because those patients are coming here before they come to you, right? So let's do this together. What questions are your patients asking you all the time that it would be really great if we answered for you on the website? When you review this content, think about it through that lens. Are we empathetic in our content? We're in the middle right now of a complete transformation of our tone of voice on our website to be more empathetic. Because it's effective, because we've learned, and we've tested, and we tried it. So as we approach it and make that change, it wasn't like we're going out and telling the whole entire Cleveland Clinic, hey, we're rewriting the entire website. We need your buy-in and approval. No. Test, iterate, optimize. Hey, we tried this, and it's working, so we're going to do it some more, is a very different conversation than we're blowing up the website right but we tend to do things the latter we tend to plan out a redesign or an overhaul and we want to like make these big sweeping changes and we hire agencies and we make big projects out of everything not knowing if it's what your audience even cares about or wants or it's going to make an impact on your results so the more that you think about numbers as people and understand how that tells you what people want from you and your organization I promise you the more successful you will be. If you're there, if you think about content as the hand, right? we love hands in healthcare all the time, be there with the information they want. Nathan's gonna talk a lot about how you know that, how do you figure out what they want, but from my perspective in overseeing pretty much now all consumer-facing content that we do, it doesn't matter if it's an Alexa tip or a podcast episode, or a Facebook Live, or an article in the library on our website. The bottom line is you have to think about each one of those things from the audience's point of view and make sure that the content delivers something that makes them feel good about your organization. Not leaving them more frustrated, not making them guess and pick and choose what to do, who to call, where to go next. Those paths, those connections, how do you send them along if they have a question? If they need to make an appointment, are you giving them the right information to make the right appointment in that moment based on what you know about them? I can tell you right now Cleveland Clinic is not there yet. This is a lot of what we're working on today. Because when I inherited the library, I was clicking around looking at some articles, and I was like, why, why do we have like three phone numbers and like all these different institutes on some of these conditions? Well, they all treat it. OK. How do I know which one I'm supposed to, to call? When politics drives your strategy, your users suffer. We're still there. So I I tell you all this just because, and it's not meant to just be touchy-feely, it honestly is, is truly what has impacted our results. And traffic for us across the board, every property, not just Health Essentials, has been growing. And since we've changed the way we do the library in the last year, two years almost, we're seeing triple digit growth in library traffic. Nothing dramatic, you wouldn't go and like click around and be able to see some major redesign, but very specific, very targeted pages, very key elements on the page. We're iterating our way through and we're working through it based on what we know about which pages people are actually going to. Are they actually getting to the right page based on the question they're asking? All of that stuff is not easy to do at scale. It's a lot of work. But honestly, every page that we've touched and approach this way, 30 to 40% increase in traffic in less than a month. It works. When you put on your empathy hat, when you think about it from the audience's point of view, when you really understand who they are and what they want, and when you're there for them in those key moments of need where your organization can have the biggest impact on their life, you will see huge results. We know, we hear this all the time, right? This is their expectation. This is the kind of experience they're getting in other spaces. We do a very poor job of seamless, on demand, in the moment kinds of things, right? For us, I will tell you, like online scheduling is a giant pain, giant pain. There's like 150 different appointment types, and Matt Bukitis could tell you a million things about it. It's not my job to figure that out, thankfully. but. That's their expectation. They want answers on demand, right? What we know is that there is a subset of our website traffic that's coming from people who really, truly want answers right now. We've named her Megan. Megan doesn't live in Ohio. That might seem weird coming from Cleveland Clinic. Our target persona actually lives in Texas. Why? Because the data tells us that actually Ohio is our fifth ranked state in geography in terms of traffic to our site. Texas is too. A lot of it is actually based on just population density. Okay, fine. But I don't want to write for someone local, because for us, a lot of our business goals are tied to national brand awareness and reputation building and all those kinds of things. So we intentionally moved her out of Ohio. She's young, and partially because we want to also be forward thinking in our approaches and in our technology. And so a little bit of the things we're doing with voice We needed to build that into this as well. But the bottom line is it's the behavior. What we're really writing for is what we know about the user behavior. I think 87-ish percent of our total web traffic comes from Google search, organic Google search. We'll hit 200 million visits this year across all of Cleveland Clinic's digital footprint. 87% from Google. So we're really hyper-focused on the users who started there. And so what we've learned is, and you can see this in everything Google does on search results pages, she wants a quick answer. She's got a question she goes to Google. She doesn't even think about it. right? Even if it's not affecting her family or her personally, she's just curious about something she heard somebody has or some condition that she heard in the news or something. She just wants to know. She Googles all the time, all the time for anything. And sometimes she's getting that quick answer and she's moving on and she doesn't even click through a page. That kind of hurts us all a little bit, right? But when you're there and she knows the answer came from you, the next time she needs a deeper dive or someone in her family's diagnosed with something, if she had a good experience, if she's getting what she wants from you, if you're giving her a little bit of that Uber, Amazon experience, a little bit, she's going to come back. She's gonna like your stuff. She might subscribe to your newsletter. She might even choose to actually follow you on a social platform. But for us, she's not the only person we write for, right? And she definitely doesn't have all the conditions and she definitely doesn't need heart surgery, our highest ROI procedure, right? So when I talk about this internally, you get a little bit of like, that's not my patient. Maybe not, but her mom might be, right? Or her sister is having a baby And she's an influencer in their lives, right? Because they know she knows how to use the internet. How many of you know this about people in your family, right? How many are you the person who they call and say, "Uh, yeah? Anyway, how do we get to her? How do we determine that's who the person is? It's the greatest common denominator across our entire website traffic. She's the most frequent flyer visitor we have. So we think about her. We talk about her because it's much, much easier to do data-driven empathy, understand your audience, if it's a human and it's a person in your face. And when you're writing something or thinking about a blog post or thinking about a video, how does she feel when she's searching that? Is that part of your approach? Are you understanding that as you create the content? Personas matter but sometimes we build personas from the wrong perspective. It's a lot of the time based on who will have a procedure, not who's actually asking the questions. Big difference. You have to define a strategy, that's the easy part. Sticking to it is the hard part. Back the balls of paper away. The easiest way to do that is to have an actually documented strategy that's your defense. We don't do that because this is what we do. We don't do that because this is who our audience is. We don't do that because this is working on our platform, this is what we're doing. Our strategy for Health Essentials has not changed in seven years. And it's one sentence. To engage users in daily conversation, using health, wellness, and clinical content that is unique to Cleveland Clinic. Every word in that sentence matters. We want engaging content. Daily, we publish three, five times a day. Conversation. We want our content to be conversational, approachable, human. Health, wellness, and clinical content. This is a hard one for a lot of us. Wellness and prevention is critical. Why? It builds trust. It tells our audience that we care about them even when they're not sick. Right, that's why we don't write just about heart surgery all day. That's why we do recipes, that's why we tell people about working out, It's why we do all those things. But we do still provide a lot of clinical information. It's important when you're sick that we're there too. But the health and wellness is what helps you stay relevant to people all the time, not just when they're critically ill. Build the relationship, build the trust. Unique to Cleveland Clinic. All our content's all original using our own experts. We don't curate anybody else's stuff and it's unique to us. That's our value proposition. We are giving you world-renowned expertise. One sentence, seven years, seven million visits. These are the words. Useful, helpful, human, hopeful, relevant. Give them what they want. Make sure it's timely. I love when we get a comment on Facebook that says, you read my mind. We're paying attention to what people are doing, thinking, wondering about today. Give them that stuff, even if it doesn't mean an appointment. You're understanding them, you're relating to them, you're building relationships, you're building trust. So when they need someone to take care of them or their family, they choose you, they think of you, they remember you. This is the model we follow for everything, regardless if it's health essentials or physician content or the library for that matter anymore. We create content. And then we distribute it anywhere it makes sense. That doesn't mean it goes everywhere. And that doesn't mean it's all at the same time. We just look for every opportunity to get the most out of that piece of content that we can. And that doesn't just mean right now today when it's written. Right? A blog post from 2015, if it's still accurate, can still do this now. We repurpose all the time. But it's got to be done in a strategic way. So there's differences in every one of those audiences, right? The way they use the platforms, who they actually are demographically, geographically, their habitual use of social media channels, e-newsletters, distribution days and times, and all of that stuff. We measure and optimize and iterate every single one of those things. So the Facebook enterprise channel schedule on a Monday isn't the same as a Saturday has nothing to do with the Twitter schedule and how many times we tweet because they use the platforms differently. Algorithms change. We have to test and pay attention to that. So every single one of those bubbles is also being iterated and optimized and measured and talked about every day. We talk about numbers and data every day. We huddle. We have tiered huddles, actually, with each individual work groups, and then all the leaders huddle with me. And it's, how are we doing? What did we learn? What are we testing? How do we beat yesterday? That's it. That's it. Every step of the way, how do we make it better? When you build a culture of data-driven empathy and you have every piece of the puzzle being thought about this way, the collective results are pretty impressive. Graphic designers on our team understand data. When they're making a photo choice, they want to know, does food in a bowl do better than food in a bowl with a spoon? Those are real life questions that we look at it and look at the numbers. And that's a decision they're faced with all the time because we do so many recipes. If every person is committed to their part of the job being the best that it can be to serve their audiences, to drive that engagement, to get the people what they want when they want it, it's all better. So I can't say this enough. Can't just look at data. Can't just report it out. Act on it, do something about it. Listen to the people behind those numbers. Understand what that means. So, what am I talking about? How do we measure? What tools do we use? How do we get to the seven million a month? Nathan's gonna talk about that.
2: So, Amanda talked a lot about listening to data iterating, and that's what I'm going to talk about right now, as well as what tools specifically we use. What I love as I put this together is I didn't have to curate the tools because they're all free. So the tools we're using are tools that anyone can use. So it's not like we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars for special data that nobody else has access to. It's just that we're using these tools in a specific way. For the
1: record, I refuse to pay a lot of money for tools. Um, We just don't, because I would rather spend the money on the content and being there for people than tools that make us more efficient. We do invest in some, but very specifically when it comes to content creation and the things that Nathan's team does, we want that budget freed up to help us be better, not necessarily investing in all the bells and whistles. And I can't tell you how many times, especially with social media, we get pitched to like centralize everything and have these like hubs and arms and tools and nothing against those platforms. And they work really, really well for teams that need them. For us, we don't. We're structured in a way that we want people hyper-focused on individual things and we're paying attention to such nuance that this is just, it's just really important to us that the investment isn't in tools and software but it's actually in the content people need.
2: Yep, and Amanda's done a good job of bringing people onto the team and taking people already on the team uh, to really hold them accountable for an interest in data and incorporating data into their daily activities, their daily tasks. So my background is I was in the paid media space. So I worked at Cleveland Clinic. I was in charge of paid search. You would expect someone like that to be very data-driven. I was in charge of analytics as well. Amanda recognized that, hey, we need more expertise like this on our team. And so now I'm doing the same sort of stuff I was doing for paid channels for content marketing. And so I think that's something that's very unique, that we have data-driven content marketing to the same caliber that our paid search team is doing attribution all the way down to contribution margin. So we have that expertise. We're just using it in a different way to drive awareness versus driving volume of patients. So what's the iterative process that we use? First we question, identify, collect, and optimize. It's very similar to the scientific process uh, where you have hypotheses and then you test those. Uh, But this is how I broke down how we work through our data problems as well as our opportunities. So what business questions are we asking? Um, Specifically, on my team, we're asking, how do we increase awareness? National awareness is very important for us. Maybe for you, local awareness is very important. Well, how do we measure awareness? How many people are coming to our website? Specifically, how many unique users are coming to our websites? How many unique individuals are being exposed to the Cleveland Clinic brand and our expertise and are building a relationship and trust with our brand? Our paid search colleagues and advertising colleagues are more focused on driving patient volume and also contribution margin. So we're asking the question, how do we drive awareness and increase awareness? So we need to identify opportunities. We need to mine our primary data, third-party data sources, utilize these tools, and leverage team member expertise to push forward and identify these high potential opportunities. One tool that we use is Google Trends for this. So how many people are familiar with Google Trends? So it's no secret. I think a lot of people are well aware of the utility of this tool. We use it the same way. We find it easier for writers to go into Google Trends than a lot of other tools because the user face is so simple, so straightforward. So a writer can go in, plug in conjunctivitis versus pink eye, and figure out what has more search volume, and how should they write the article, so that the consumer can more easily find it and understand it. We use this to understand the consumer voice. So this isn't just numbers that are nice to have. We see them as, this is the consumer telling you, I understand what pink eye is, I don't quite understand what conjunctivitis is, so when you write your article, please speak to me and use pink eye, primarily, and then maybe say also known as conjunctivitis. So that's one example. Here's another example. Should we call it sports medicine? Um, How are people referring to this? Or physical therapy, orthopedic surgeon. Here you can see physical therapy is much more common than sports medicine, medicine, which is the internal way that we refer to this specific solution. So just looking, using this powerful tool to understand how to write. In how to position things in the consumer perspective. Here, it's not always that people are more used to the lay term. So heart doctor is not as frequently searched as cardiologist. so that might be a surprise. But always look, don't always assume that people use the less medical term. Maybe they are familiar with the more medical term when <coughs> a writer's writing an article or you're coming up with a brainstorm of new topics. Another tool from Google, and spoil alert, they're all Google tools. So it's <laughs> not, I'm not a spokesperson for Google, but I just find that the tools are very useful. Um, people are the most familiar with them. And then when you use one suite of tools, it's easier to integrate and understand the relationships between the various tools within that one provider suite of analytics tools. So Google Correlate is built on some of the same logic that Google Trends is built on, except for it tells you what is correlated to a specific search. So here's an example. We have a writer who's going to write about paleo diets, and then it tells you what's related to the paleo diet. Here you can see sauteed kale, kale. So if we're going to write an article on paleo diets, we probably should have a component of the article that talks about kale and how to incorporate that into your diet. Google Correlate makes it easy for you to pair things together that consumers associate with one another, because when searches in Paleo Diet go up, so do searches in Kale. So there's a relationship there. Keyword Planner. So there's a lot of different keyword research tools that you can use. This is a Google version for keyword research, but you could also use Moz, you could use SEM Rush, Bright Edge. There's a variety of different things. Keyword data is very, very important for our ideation and topic generation work. So we look at what are people searching for. We also look at uh, what our competitors already have topics on or articles on, and see if we have gaps and opportunities to create more content on those specific areas. So. A use case is to look through a specific theme, so dermatology, and see what is the most common search topics under that theme. And then you can build out and create articles there based on search demand and consumer data rather than your dermatology department saying, this is what we need to write on because this is my pet project. This is something new and super innovative but then you go look and no one's searching for it, no consumers really have any interest in that specific thing. So once you have identified the opportunity, the next step is to collect the data. So we identify an opportunity to write an article on the keto diet. We're not just gonna write that article and then let it sit there and our work is done, we're all good. We've done what we needed to do. Instead, we actually collect data on how people are using that article, how many people are going to the article, and then we consolidate that data with other sources. So this one is pretty easily summed up with Web Analytics from a content marketing perspective. Are you using Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics, something like Chartbeat, something like an attribution tool, Visual IQ? Are you using these tools? Again, Google Analytics is a free tool, which we use. To measure the performance of your content Google Analytics is very robust if we're looking to determine how do we drive more brand awareness we're looking at top-performing articles not just today or for this month but also we're looking at trending top performance so there's a great way you can go into Google Analytics, sort by absolute change and you can see the biggest gains you had over a period or the biggest losses you had over a certain period. We look at that and we see what articles are surging, what articles are people really trafficking highly this month versus last month, and what articles are falling off the map. Is there a problem with that article? Did that article have an error? or for those biggest gains, can we create more content like this? Can we complement this content with something that we think consumers are looking for as well, based on the data? You also can understand where people are coming from. This is important for us because my team has a lot of different channels under it. Where do we spend most of our time? It's on SEO, because 87%, as Amanda said, of our traffic comes from SEO. So if we're going to have you know, if I have two free hours, I'm going to spend that thinking about SEO strategies and SEO optimization because that's where I can dr- drive the most incremental result. Here are some other examples of data sources that you can collect. I mean, there's really an infinite amount of data sources, but these are some that you might feel uh, strongly about pulling in YouTube, Facebook, any sort of social. If you have CRM data, that could be helpful, and then email data is also very telling about how people are engaging with your content if you're sending out newsletters and information. Finally, the most important step is you need to optimize. So leverage tools to optimize based on the data that you collected. So optimize your gap identification, what articles you're going to write so that the next time you come up with a list of articles for your freelancer or your content writer to write or physicians to write, that that list of articles is better than the list that you provided at the beginning of the month or last month. Also, are you optimizing the experience? And then ultimately, are you asking new questions? So once you optimize, what's the next thing? If we started by asking, how can we build awareness in Ohio. The next question could be, how do we build awareness in the Midwest? And then finally, how do we build awareness nationally?
1: Yeah, I think this is the point where when I said, like, what did we learn? What are we testing next? That's the most critical, important part of what we're doing, right? Every day we're learning something new. We're figuring out you know, kind of what is the next question? What can we build on from what that learning was? And again, like Nathan said, we're never really done with this. It's just this constant evolution and understanding what's happening now. Because as much as we want to you know, figure all this out, Google changes algorithms every five minutes, right? So the things you thought were working today might not work tomorrow. And if you're not paying attention, those big losses can be pretty detrimental, especially on some of your top performing pages. One fun fact on the one slide that showed you know, some of our top performers, that leg cramps at night article in our library has been the number one most visited post for like two years straight. Mm-hmm. We could leave it there and let it be just fine, but we don't. Um, it stays number one because we optimize the page against what's happening today. We've added assets to it. We've made it more engaging. We've added multimedia components and imagery and illustrations and like have kind of blown that page out. And a lot of times people will say, well, why? It's, it's already getting all this traffic. It's a good page. Yeah, and if we left it sit there and didn't do anything to it, tomorrow it would not be there and it would not be ranking as high as it is and we would lose it. So it's like tending the garden a little bit, right? You have to kind of pay attention to that because it's really easy to just get comfortable with what's working and just keep doing it. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me in terms of leadership and how we've sort of evolved over the last five years is, yeah, we're successful. But no one ever told me you have to go from 200 to a million or a million to seven million. We just were like, what if? What if we tried? What if we tweaked? What if we tinkered? And here we are now, and it's like tinkering on steroids every day, but
2: you know, it works. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of this Optimize is how do we take that page, like Amanda said, and make it the best page on the internet? And a lot of what we're doing is not just writing net new content, it's going back, seeing what's performing really well, and saying, how can we make this page even better? Because we wanna move it up further in search rankings, or because we want to be able to use it on social, in email again, and not feel bad that the publish date is so old and some of the content might be a little stale. So how do we refresh and reinvigorate some of this content that has been on our website for a while? So how do you optimize? If you want to get more clinical about optimization, one caveat I will say is we are very conscious to not be paralyzed by data. So you could sit at your desk and test, 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 and then by the end of the year, actually not have done anything. Because all you did was collected a bunch of data that said, hey, you know that's not the best way. Well, then maybe this. And then you're you know, seeing if it's statistically significant and all this stuff. And then you end up not making any changes. And so if the, the team comes up with an idea that makes a lot of sense, and we all agree we need to move forward with this, the data is directionally telling us that we should do this, then we do it. We don't <laughs> wait for an A-B test to tell us, yes, we were all right. But if we do that thing, then we do collect data. And if it was the wrong thing and performance starts to drop, then we might revert. But we have a bias towards action. We're trying to make things happen. Um, So that's just a caveat when we get into Google Optimize because you could Google Optimize everything. You could Google Optimize the title of every article and change it from the to a to with. And that's not going to really... Drive value. Instead, use Google Optimize when you're making a change that you're really uncertain about and you just need some data. Uh, our product manager, Brian, who's here, does a great job of using Google Optimize when we sit in a conference room and we have a conversation and everybody's like back, forth, and no one can come to a consensus. And then he comes back to the next meeting and he's like, I did an optimized test. It doesn't matter. Or I did an optimized (laughs) test, and this is the way we should go. And so that helps us to unstick us, rather than falling back on this as a crutch, and then it preventing you and paralyzing you from doing anything. So Google Optimize, what does it do? It's a free tool. You put code on your website, and you can change any sort of user-displayed content, imagery, experience. An A-B test to see what performs better. It has the Google Analytics interface so then you can see what was the conversion rate or the action rate that you were looking for. For us, it's did they proceed to the next page? Did they spend enough time on the page? Did they um, scroll down to the bottom of the page? You can do things like that, but if you're doing paid search, things like that. From an advertising perspective, you can also say did they fill out our form? Did they call the number? And so on and so forth. So we use Google Optimize in a way to break those ties and those conversations that get stuck. You can do it for your CTAs.
1: We'll be doing a lot more of that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a big thing is, if you think an experience on your website is off in consumers, it's confusing consumers, or it's distracting to consumers, it's not valuable to consumers, put it into this tool because it's much easier for you to have data behind that hard conversation when you say, hey, we're gonna remove this from our website, and then they'll be like, no! And then you can say, only one person clicked on it in the last week, and then that makes the conversation a lot easier. The last tool, which is my new favorite, is Google Data Studio, and so a lot of people talk about Tableau, um, Power BI, all these business intelligence interfaces. A lot of them are pretty expensive. And then there's pretty heavy lifting for you to figure out how to use them. Google Data Studio is a free uh, business intelligence dashboarding tool. And this is what we've been using for a lot of our reporting. And it's freeing up my analyst time from doing that constant back and forth with different stakeholders saying, what about this? What if you cut the data this way? What if you did this, this, or that? Or how do we just get summary metrics for everything? So this is a dashboard that we created that um, the first week that I was in the new role, and I said, the most common question I'm getting is, what is the traffic? What is the users? What are the page views for each one of our site sections? I just put it into a dashboard, so now when someone asks me, I'll be like, remember, we have a dashboard, and (laughs) it's, it's right here. And so I don't have to have that conversation over and over again. Instead, my conversation is, what the." is happening because this dropped, and then the conversation is more productive, it's more actionable, and less just spitting out data when everybody needs the data. So we use this for this, we use it for goals, we use it for institute-level reporting, which used to be a huge headache for us, and where you have to slice and dice by heart, cancer, urology. We just have a dashboard we say you can go in you can filter the data just like you can select the date range here and then it's self-service and then our team can focus on doing the research and getting the data for new content gaps for what existing content we're going to optimize so this is a huge way to free up a lot of time on your team so Mm -hmm. that you can do the things that you want to prioritize versus just serving out and spitting out data that everybody else is asking you for. So back to that iterative process. We question, we identify, we collect, and then we optimize. So Galileo said, measure what can be measured, and make measurable what cannot be measured. And that's what we're trying to do every day. So he's a scientist, but I would argue he'd make a pretty good content marketer as well.
0: HCIC Next is made possible by Greystone.net, the healthcare internet conference, and Touchpoint Media. To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health.